Well, please turn with me to John chapter 15. And as you're finding your place in John chapter 15, I, I want you to celebrate with me some things. So here we are. I know technically we're still in this pandemic, but I want to celebrate together just how far we've come together. And even just to mention the word pandemic, really, it brings up a sadness in my heart. I don't know if you have the same thing. Just what a, what a really difficult, painful season that was, particularly some months ago, those years ago now. But I want to celebrate how God has brought us this far together. So go, I know it's painful, but go back with me. Remember when we were not allowed to meet together in person? And so, you know, it was going to be for a short amount of time. Let's just stop the spread of that. And that made sense. Neighborly, we would want to do that, not spread something. And so those were tough times. But listen, celebrate with me this. We went from not meeting to a new live stream ministry in one week. And that still goes on. Guys at this back table here, uh, men and women at the back table here to do this, even now pumping over into MP1. But at 11 o'clock, the live stream, that, that happened in one week. And of course, developed from there. That, that's amazing. Then remember the life groups couldn't gather and they would then stay in touch through Zoom. That was brand new. And, and our people were able to stay connected through a very, very difficult time that way. Then you remember we were, able, were coming back and we met over there in MP1. We could space ourselves out, but it was masks and distancing. We did that. I know it's sad to even to take ourselves back there a little bit. Then coming in here, distanced and all that. Then, then coming back fully and coming in here. You guys, it wasn't like getting used to getting close again. You guys packed in the first Sundays and masks were gone and how, how wonderful that was. I want us to celebrate God brought us through all this. Here's the key word for me, together. And then this is the other thing I want to celebrate is, in, and if you remember the climate, a lot of anger in the culture, a lot of division in the culture. And somehow by his grace, God brought us through that, still holding on to him and holding on to each other together. I just want to stop at this juncture and celebrate that together. And then we ask the question, how did we hold together through all those forces that were trying to pull churches and people apart? Listen, we, we did our best together to keep our eyes on Jesus, didn't we? And we realized, listen, we, we're unified in our love for Jesus. Why are we unified? In our shared confidence in the scriptures and the shared understanding of a mission, the Great Commission. And though the context made it hard to do mission during those days, we did our best. Listen, we're going to stay on this mission. So I think this is a great moment to celebrate, but also to kind of recast vision. Why are we a church? What are we about? So we're at the right at the beginning of a new church year. We have all these months stretching out ahead of us. Should the Lord delay his coming another year? Think, what are we about? Why are we still here? What should we be aiming for as a church? So what I want to do over this Sunday and the four after, so the next five Sundays, I want to take us into what I'm calling strategy sessions. I want us to think again about why we are a church. What are our values? What are we aiming for together? And I want to use our logo as the visual for this. And maybe you remember our logo. Let's see what's behind me here. There's a part of it right there. And I, I want you to think about it. Now, who, who can remember our tagline, our slogan? Started with rooted. Remember that statement? So in our, in our full logo, you see rooted in truth, then what? Reaching in love. And that's very intentional. This is what we aspire to be as a church. So I want you to hear two words there just as we think about it. Uh, we've got truth and love. And we aspire to both. Those aren't either or. We could get really weird fast if we say, no, no, we're just going to be truth with no love. 
that's unbiblical, that's not like Jesus. We also could get weird really fast, we could say, well, we're not worried about truth, we're just gonna love. And people in churches get really weird when they do that. So we're saying, no, biblically, we need to be both truth and love. Also those words, rooted and reaching. Rooted says, we're holding fast to this truth. Jesus is the truth, his word is truth, so we are not moving, but we're reaching. That means we are moving. We're not leaving behind Christ, the unchanging savior, the unchanging word of God, but with the unchanging savior and his unchanging word, we're on the move to a culture that's hurting and broken and divided. So we're moving out in love, so very intentional. But then you look at our logo and you see prominently there a vine. And I want us to look at the passage that's behind that in the scriptures. That's why I have you in John 15. Here's the point of that. When we, when we have that vine right there in the center of our logo, that's very intentional. What we're saying is, as a church, we are centered on Jesus. This is all about Jesus. This is all from Jesus. It's all about him. Hear the word of God. This is Jesus talking, John 15, 1 through 11. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may, may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus once again giving an extended metaphor. And this one would be very recognizable for everybody who heard him there in the first century. Vines and grapes, all that a big part of the culture, they all would understand immediately what Jesus is saying. But here he's using that metaphor to tell us about the relationship that we are to have with him. First of all, we learn who he is. He says here, I am the vine. And my father takes care of the vine. He's the vine dresser. Then he tells us who we are here. And we are branches. Then he tells us what he does. He gives life. He prunes us. He makes us fruitful. And then we're told here what we are to do. Did you notice it? Over and over again, what are we to do? We are to abide in him. And then he tells us what we can't do. We can't do anything apart from him. Nothing good, nothing lasting apart from him. So I want to take this familiar for many of us teaching of Christ and see several vital truths for ourselves individually and as a church family. First of all, this, if Jesus is the vine and he is, that means that Jesus is the source of life. 
Jesus is the source of life. The point of this extended metaphor that Jesus gives here is that we need him. Jesus is to us as a vine is to a branch. In other words, Jesus is indispensable to us. You do know this about vines, right? A vine can do quite well without all the branches. That's the idea of pruning. For a healthy vine, there has to come a time when they cut back a lot of the branches and the vine does quite well, but the reverse is not true. Branches can't do anything. They don't live apart from the vine. So do you hear Jesus saying, you need me, you need to be vitally connected to me. That's the analogy he uses. Now let me ask you, is there another analogy that better would describe how you relate to Jesus? Because not everybody operates like this, that Jesus is the vine and I'm a branch to him. Do you know many people live the exact opposite of this? Where they act like this by their lives, their lives declare this. No, no, Jesus, you're not the vine. I am the vine and you are one of my branches. That's how many people, probably, probably most people who maybe make some association with Christianity, they themselves, the vine, Jesus is a branch. So people operate like this. Well, I, I am in charge of my own life. I'm, I'm charting the course here and I have a career branch attached to me. I have some entertainment branches attached to me, to my liking. I have some other relationships attached to me and I have a little Jesus branch attached to me and it's all about me. Listen, if that's you today, that's pitiful. It's unbiblical. There's no life there. And I hope you'll see with me, that's extremely offensive to Jesus. Because he says, I'm the vine and you are a branch and you need me. But to reverse that is severe disobedience. And again, it's, it's, it's lostness. I know that life because I once lived that life. When I was a teenager going to church, church member during those times, I was my own vine and Jesus was just somehow, I thought, attached to me. In reality, I had no relationship with him. And the way I've often described it was this, switching analogies. I would think of it this way, looking back, I was the master of my own life and Jesus to me was nothing more than a genie that I would summon for help. So it was, it was as if I'd get into a problem, live my life, oh, where's God? Okay, could you help me out of this situation? Now that you're helping me, you go back over there and I live my life. I was the vine. Jesus was merely a branch if I had any relationship at all with him. And so coming to Jesus, trusting him, really involved a repentance that involved a total life reorientation. I had to completely flip it. Everybody who's ever become a Christian, who's become a Christian has to flip that. It's not about me. I'm not saving me. Jesus is the one. It's completely trusting in Jesus. It's life where Jesus is now at the center and we are now on the edge. We're attached to him. Jesus isn't a small part of life. Jesus is life to the person who's been born again. Jesus is the vine. We're branches. Again, let me ask you, in your relationship with Jesus, who's the vine and who is the branch? Jesus is the vine. And everything Jesus has ever taught has declared to you and me that he is essential. He's the source of life. Let me give you some other examples from John's gospel. This is John 15. This is one of the I am statements of Jesus, but every one of these that John records in his gospel declares the same thing. How about this? Jesus said in, in John's gospel, I am the bread of life. What's he saying? I'm essential to you. Jesus said in the gospel of John, I am the light of the world. He's saying to you and me, I'm essential. 
Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. He said in the same context, I am the door for the sheep. You need him. Jesus said this, this is stunning. I am the resurrection and the life. You need him. Or famously, John 14, 6, in the, in the Vision Virginia video, we saw it. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is essential. And right here, John 15, 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. It's a powerful statement in at least two different directions. First of all, it's a critical, uh, powerful statement of, of practical living. We're going to talk about that. But also there's a powerful theological statement here. Because in the old covenant, Israel was looked out as the vine. And if you're going to be right to God, right with God, you need to be attached to the community of faith in him. But here, here we are in the new covenant. And Jesus says, no, it's not, it's not Israel. I'm the vine. And if you want to be right with God, you need to be attached to me. I'm the vine. Everybody needs me is what Jesus is saying. So think of it a second. A branch not attached to a literal vine is worthless. And as the scripture says here, it's just worthy to be gathered up. It's withered. It's going to be burned in a fire. But it's true of us as people as well. It's true of a church as well. So we're declaring together that Jesus is our life. That we're dead without him. So as a church family, we're affirming that Jesus is the center of everything. Jesus is the focus of all this. That Jesus is the point. That we gather for him. All this church is from him. We can say it this way. That, that we're not based on anything but him. So we're not a building-focused church. Though aren't we grateful for these buildings? We're not a pastor-centered church. So the logo, when we look back at it with you, my face isn't on it. Wouldn't that be weird? I think the church would, we would shrink fast if every one of those blocks had my ugly face on it there. What kind of ego trip is that guy? We're, we're not pastor centered. We're not personality centered here. Man, wasn't the music amazing today? So good. But we're not a music centered church. That's what I love about our music. That's why it makes it so wonderful. They're just telling us, sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus. Same thing at the eight o'clock service when we're singing hymns over there. It's all about Jesus. We're not even a coffee-centered church. And I love our coffee time in here. I'll be partaking again after this service. But we're not trying to be a hipster church with the coolest coffee bar in town, you know. It's Jesus. That's why you come. That's why I come. It's all about him. And so we're just declaring together, when you see that logo and you see that vine, just like, oh, we're all about Jesus. We, we delight ourselves and our Savior. We would put nobody else in that spot. It's all Jesus. So we're just saying in response to this, yes, Jesus, we agree. You are the source of life. But also this, Jesus, you're the vine. You're the source of fruitfulness. You're the source of life and you're the source of all fruitfulness. That's verses four and five again. Hear those again. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Notice with me the clear expectation of Jesus that his people would bear fruit. In fact, he says he's expecting from his people much fruit. Think about it. People who actually plant vineyards, uh, why do they do that? Why all the work of that? It's that they might see fruit from it. And the more fruit, the better. And so why did Jesus save me? Why does he have his churches? What's he want from all this? 
He wants fruitfulness from us for his glory. Jesus here brings up that, that God will actually remove branches that aren't fruitful. What's that talking about? That's unbelievers. Uh, people who are in the believing community but who aren't believers and they give evidence they're not believers because there's no fruit and we'll talk about that fruit in a moment. Then those get removed eventually and those are burned up. But then there's a word to those who are true believers who are bearing some fruit. There's a pruning that goes on so that, so that that person will become more fruitful for the Lord. So do you hear? It's God's intention that his people be fruitful. And so let's ask an application question. Are you a fruitful Christian? And if you're not a fruitful Christian, ask yourself, what is it that's keeping me from being fruitful to the Lord? And what you could do in these moments is ask the Lord, Lord, would you show me what's keeping me from being fruitful for you like you clearly want here? I see it so clear in your word. And he may show you something that you can then remove. In other words, he can prune your life by speaking to you about it, showing you right now in these moments, yeah, that's gotta go, that's gotta, that's keeping you from being fruitful for me, that, that's got to go. I would much rather respond to the Holy Spirit prompting me and show me something than wait on him to prune me in some other way. Because that could be a painful process. It's not because he doesn't love you, he loves you, wants some things out of you so that you can be more fruitful for him as we're gonna see, that ultimately leads to our greater joy. But, but what is this fruit? that the Lord has in mind for us. I think we can think in at least two different directions. First of all, a part of this fruit is first and foremost, Christ-likeness. That's what he's expecting to see, a lot of Christ-likeness over time growing in you, but also we would call it ministry impact. So I wanna have fruit in my life, you wanna have fruit in your life, I wanna be more and more like Jesus, I need that fruit in me, and I need ministry impact, I wanna make a difference for him. Now let's talk about Christ-likeness. You should be able to tell who is spending time with Jesus, abiding in him, because they're the ones that are gonna look more and more like Jesus. They're gonna act more and more like Jesus over time. In fact, don't we read in the scriptures in the book of Galatians about the fruit of the spirit. So a person who's full of the Holy Spirit, same idea is abiding in Christ. There's fruit that's gonna show up in their lives, not perfectly, because we're not perfect, but we're abiding in Christ, this starts showing up things like love, what kind of love? The love of Jesus should be showing up in your life if you're abiding in him. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So you abide in Christ, this fruit will begin to show up in your life and more and more so as time goes by. But the opposite is also true. The person who's not walking with Christ, we're gonna see a person not growing in Christ's likeness. They're gonna be less gracious. You're not walking with Christ, you're not abiding in him, you're less merciful, you're less forgiving, you're more prideful, you're more hot-headed. We need to associate, be tight with Jesus. On Monday, I was out in Los Angeles at this church planning assessment time, it was a wonderful time, and one of the things that I heard was a guy named Jason, he was talking one day, and he told a story about how he once had a job working at Sam's Club. He was in management at Sam's Club. He said, before I started though, they had me read the Sam Walton biography. He said, I was pumped to work for such an organization because you, you get to hear about the founder of Walmart and Sam's Club and to learn his vision and his values and all that he had in mind. He said, I was so excited until I went to Walmart. He discovered this is nothing like the founder's vision. The excellence, the customer service, all that I was thinking, you go to work and like, this is not, there's a disconnect there. Listen, you know, that can happen for us as believers as well. There's no one greater than Jesus. 
we're reading his biography, we're reading all these great things, and then the word of God, and there can be a disconnect between Jesus and those who say they follow Jesus. Let me ask you this, have you ever met a Christian? You think, man, that's nothing like Jesus. You ever met a Christian jerk? I think that, that shouldn't be. Wait a minute, what about the great vision? What about the values? What about everything he taught us here? Where's this arrogance coming from? Where's this stubbornness coming from? Where's this lack of mercy coming from? Because we, we're supposed to be like him. There's somebody not abiding in him. And it can happen to whole churches as well, can it? You ever gone to a church and the church is nothing like Jesus? The church is cold. The church is passive. Nothing about the mission of Jesus. The church is unkind. It's self-centered or in theological error, just totally abandoning the word of God. That's nothing like Jesus. Somewhere along the line, there's a church and there are a group of people that stopped adoring Jesus, that stopped bowing to Jesus, started going on their own. Jesus says, don't do that. You need to abide in me. You need to hold on to me if you're gonna be like me and if you're gonna have any kind of impact for me. These are, these are amazing truths here. That if we abide, we're going to bear, verse 2, fruit. The latter part of verse 2, more fruit. Verses 5 and 8, did you notice? Much fruit. So God's expecting fruit from us. And we want that in our lives. We want to be like Jesus, and we want to have an impact in the world around us. But notice here, Jesus doesn't say, now get out there and get busy. No, it's, it's not a call primarily to go out there and get busy. He says, you come to me. You want to be fruitful, come to me, stay with me. It's not an either or. As you come to him, he's going to launch you out into his service and do things only he can do. Now, have you ever tried to just launch out and get busy for Jesus? How did that go? If you do it without Jesus, you're going to burn out quite fast. Years ago, when I was a pastor right out of seminary, I pastored in a rural place in Alabama. And in those days, I was preaching one message for Sunday morning, a different message for Sunday night, a different message on Wednesday night, and then a different message on Monday nights for a singles ministry started, plus visiting the hospitals and funerals and everything else. It was exhausting. And there was too much to do in the amount of time because Sunday's coming. You've got to be ready for Sunday. And there's no like, hey, I'm not ready today. <laughs> You're just ready. So I remember violating the counsel that I learned in seminary because the guys in seminary said, guys, don't, don't substitute your own quiet time with God for sermon study for others. And I knew that. And I'd always practice a separate personal time with Jesus. Then I would pivot to study, but I was so busy. I thought I can't, I, I don't have time for my own time with Jesus. I know what I'll do. I'm in the Bible, I'm doing good things. And it's true, when you're studying, you do, you do glean things. But nevertheless, I dried up. Within a month, I thought this, this is not working. My mentors were right. I'm drying up in the midst of ministry. And so I repented of that. I thought, no, I'm gonna go back. No matter how busy, I'm gonna meet with Jesus. Just gonna read a different part of scripture that I'm not teaching. Just meet with Jesus, be fueled up by him, then pivot and study for others. And the Lord brought refreshment back into my life. So, so our service, all the things we wanna do really needs to come from a place of overflow of our intimate growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So how do we abide with Jesus. What does that even mean? That's not a word we use a lot, abide. Well, that word literally in the original language means remaining, dwelling with, holding on to, persevering, the idea of an intimate relationship with Jesus, being in union with Jesus. 
living with him and a vital ongoing relationship with him. And then Jesus tells us practically what this looks like, and we'll do this quickly. Look with me now at verses four and five. He, he says basically this, abide with me in a spirit of dependence. Abide with me in dependence. That's what verse four and five, again, that analogy. You're a branch, I'm a vine. Do you see how much you need me? Walk like you need him. How about this? Abide in love for him. That's verse nine. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. That's beautiful. Abide in my love. So you can't say that you're abiding in Jesus if you don't love him and you're not walking with him in this love relationship. Verse 10 says this, that you should abide in obedience. Verse nine again, as the father has loved me, so have I also loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So if you're not obeying him, and that's not an interest of yours, there's no way you can say that you're abiding in Christ. Then we see this, that we are to abide in his word. Verse three, already you are clean because, here it is, of the word I've spoken to you. Now look at verse seven again. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So you can't say, well, I'm abiding in Christ. I just don't care to hear what he has to say. I don't, I don't ever open the word of God. Paul said to the Colossians in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And then we see this, Jesus practically tells us, here's how you do it. You abide in prayer. Verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So you can't say you're abiding in Christ. Well, I just don't talk to him. It's not a high priority to worship him, to adore him, to seek his help as I live out this life. And then of course, the outcome of this is to serve in his power. I'm abiding in Christ. If I'm always keenly aware that any service I do, Lord, you have to fuel this. You have to be doing this through me. If I'll do that, Jesus says, you're gonna have much fruit. But if you don't, you won't accomplish anything. So the idea of abiding is I'm gonna come to him and I'm gonna stay with him, always staying so in our house in these days, we have a new puppy that we're training. Dog can't do much yet. But we have a 10-year-old beagle. And when we got our beagle 10 years ago, we, we taught that dog some things. And one of the coolest things to watch a beagle do is to obey the command, stay. Because a beagle's not great at that. And so it was just awesome to get this beagle who loves food more than anything in this world to stay. And as long as we're in a controlled environment with a treat in my hand, that dog will stay. So I can, I can tell Penny, Penny stay. And I can take the treat and walk around, remind her stay, go into the other room, call out from her, stay. She's still there because when I come back, the dog gets the treat for staying and it's just amazing. That's a controlled environment. That dog can't stay outside though. There was this one day on our porch, Joy and I were sitting there, the beagle's there. And we had just been bragging about every evening we'd be on the porch with our beagle without a leash and she just would stay with us. This dog is great. We never had a dog that would just kind of hang around like this until down the street, we didn't notice it, but a mom and a dad, and I think like a little two-year-old girl and their dog entered the street, maybe about 50, 100 yards away. Penny launched off the porch, racing ears back toward them. So I'm yelling the command, stay, Penny, stay, stay. And then it's more embarrassing. I have to leave the porch running, yelling stay to my dog, who has no interest in staying. Well, she finally got to that family and their dog. I don't know what Penny's plan was because she just wanted to be there with the dog. I, I think it traumatized, certainly a little girl. They never walked in our direction ever again. 
And I, I was so sorry. Hey, I'm sorry, you know. But, but what is that? The dog knows the command, just, just doesn't do it. Or sometimes would, sometimes. Listen, is that like us? I know I should abide in Christ, but I often run in a different direction. Maybe you say, no, I would never launch out from Christ. But maybe you're like, I'm more, I'm more prone to, well, like the old song says, prone to wander. And maybe you find yourself, I'm on the edges. I'm, I'm kind of, I know where he is, but I'm not following him. Jesus said, you need to abide in me. Stay close to me. So understand this. Again, the mission is I want to bear fruit. I want to be like Jesus. I, I want to have a life of impact for Jesus like we read about in the scriptures. But listen, what comes first? What comes first is abiding in him. I want to stay in him and serve him from that overflow. Again, in Los Angeles for this church planning time, Vance Pittman, who's the leader of the SEND network, this North American Mission Board emphasis on church planning. He even said this to the, the new church planners. He said, the primary call is intimacy. And out of that comes ministry. Isn't that right? That's the primary call. That's what Jesus is saying. You need to abide in me. If you do that, you're going to bear a lot of fruit. So Jesus is the source of life. We're just reminding ourselves that individually church, Jesus is the source of any fruit that we hope to bear. But also this, Jesus is the source of joy. Jesus is the source of joy. Verse 11, look at this. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I hope you hear the love of God in that. Isn't that amazing? God cares about your joy and your joy is wrapped up in him. Not, not you go chasing how you're gonna go get it. He wants you joyful, but he's telling you how to get it. Come to me, stay in me, and you're gonna see a lot of great things happen. God has wired us to only be ultimately joyful when we're in him and he's doing his work through us. But maybe this morning you say, I, I am not a joyful Christian. There might be somebody here who would say, you know, I'm really a bored Christian. Well, if you're a bored Christian, then you're not abiding in Jesus. Now again, maybe we all can go through some flat times and maybe you're just not as up as you should be. But if you say, no, I'm bored. I, I mean, I'm here and I see other people excited about Jesus and I saw them singing with tears, but I got none of that. I'm just a bored Christian. Can I suggest two things for you that will shake you out of boredom as a Christian? First of all, would you commit to be with him? Maybe you're bored because you've forgotten how good he is. And so this is the beauty of meeting with him daily in the word of God. Would you, would you commit to that? I'm gonna meet with Jesus. I'm gonna abide here. Because he says he's in for my joy. I, I, I'm gonna take him at his word. I'm gonna meet him. So, so let me suggest this. You're gonna meet with Jesus. Uh, you say, what would I do when I get into his presence? Read his word. You're gonna abide in his word. And you say, what would I read? Why don't you start in Matthew? You think what, for the months ahead, Matthew all the way to Revelation, stay in the New Testament. And you're just gonna be amazed day after day. He is amazing. He's amazing. Of course, I'm gonna center my life on him. Of course, he's the vine and I'm just a branch. You're gonna be reminded daily. Here's how you do that, by the way. You schedule it and you guard it. Use every app you have to remind yourself, I'm gonna meet with Jesus. Use that alarm feature, use your calendar feature. Uh, something's gonna go off. And maybe it's six in the morning, maybe it's noon, maybe it's eight at night, whenever. I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna guard it because I need him. I need a relationship, I need to abide in him. You're gonna find joy in his presence. But then how about this? You say, well, what, what next? Then then you get up from those times with Jesus. You're not leaving him behind. You get up now and say, and now Jesus, I'll do anything you tell me to do. Anywhere, anytime, whatever you tell me, because you're the Lord, I'm gonna do that. There is an adrenaline rush in that life. If you're bored, it's because you're not living that life. 
So you're walking full of the Holy Spirit, abiding in Christ, same idea, and you, you get the sense of the Holy Spirit, I should share Christ with that person. And then you're like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna, I'm an introvert. How do, what do I say? That might not go well. You're not bored now, are you? You're bored. You're on a mission. He's wanting to produce fruit through you. And you know, I, I don't know how this is gonna go. And then you start talking. And you're like, okay, Lord, you get me started. And, uh, and then there, you're, you're now, there, you're joined. It doesn't mean everybody gets saved all the time, but I'm being obedient. I sense the father saying, boy, here you go. That's what we're talking about. And there's joy in the obedience, even though the outcome's uncertain. I, I would describe it like, like when you ride a roller coaster at King's Dominion, when you abide in Christ and you say, I'll do whatever you say. Now I don't ride roller coasters anymore. I think I quit about five years ago. It wasn't an intentional decision. But I just remember thinking, I just don't, I don't want to anymore. I don't want to. But when I used to ride them five years ago and all those years before, uh, I had that moment every time when you sit down on it and you lock in thinking, I don't think I want to do this. I don't think I want to do this. I especially hated that moment when you're clicking up the hill. Click, 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 click. I think, this is a big mistake and there's no way off, you know? And, and I think following Jesus is like that. Jesus, I'm, I'm trusting you. You're in charge. I'm totally out of control. And I don't even want to go back, but I'm still scared. I'm still scared about some of the things that, that we're into together here. And then you plunge down that first hill and I don't like that feeling. That's one of the reasons I don't want to ride another one, you know, because my stomach's gone and I don't know. But yeah, I can say this, all the twists and turns and loops and all that, when I get off, like, that was fun. That's fun. I just don't think at this age, I'm going to try it again. <laughs> but following Jesus, there's an adrenaline rush to that. If you'll abide in him, if you'll be all in, you, you lay the control over to him. Don't try to, you're bored because you're trying to do your own version of it. But you give him full control. You go into every day like that, I'll, I'll go anywhere. The, the call to mission's on the table. You, you wanna take me to another country? It's all yours, I'll go. I already did it once. You want me to do it again? If you call, I'll go. There is, there's joy in that, along with the fear. <laughs> but we wouldn't wanna have it any other way. Well, about 10 years ago, I taught this passage here and, uh, and then at the IMB, I got to speak at IMB Chapel and, and I thought, okay, I know what I'm gonna do because in those days, the house we lived in, there was a grapevine that previous owners had planted on our back fence. I thought, I know what I'll do. I'm gonna illustrate this visually. I'm gonna pluck off one of those branches and I'm gonna take it in tomorrow to the IMB and when I preach this, I'm gonna show them this dead branch and this is what happens when you detach from the vine. Only problem was when I got up the next morning to go preach there, I looked at that branch detached from the vine. It looked amazing. <laughs> that branch looked as healthy as it could be sitting there now on my back deck. I thought, well, that blows my whole, whole analogy here. But then I thought, no, I think it's a better analogy now because it looks so amazing, but it's still dead. And I know what's gonna happen. Eventually, that thing's gonna shrivel up and turn brown like I thought it was gonna do immediately. It just takes some time to show up. In fact, it took several days. I kept looking out there. That thing still looks good, day two, day three. But eventually it turned brown and crispy, crunchy, dead as we knew. And you know, I thought that is helpful for us because we can, we can seem to get by with it, not abiding in Christ for a while. We might be able to go a few weeks where nobody knows the difference. I look like I'm as healthy as everybody else, but I know inside I'm drying up. I know inside there's no fruit there, not the joy of the Lord in his presence. There's not the joy of serving him. And so maybe that's a word for you today. Nobody knows how you're struggling, but the Lord knows that there's, there's dryness in you. There's a lack of joy in you, but you look great. But here's the good news. Here's Jesus saying, would you abide in me? He's inviting you. 
the, the savior of the world, the alpha and the omega says, I want you to abide in me. He's not saying stay away from me, you dirty person. I will cleanse you. He said, I already cleansed you by my word. You come to me, stay attached to me. That's the love of God because I wanna do some things in your life and change you. I wanna produce fruit in you and through you because I want my joy to be in you. So today, maybe you're ashamed of your abiding. It hasn't gone so well. This is a beautiful invitation. All right, repent of that poor abiding. Repent of that launching out everywhere else. And would you turn to Jesus, your merciful savior, who would forgive you, who would allow you to reattach and grow. Maybe for some of you, this is a first time decision. You recognize I've never known him. I've totally lived my life on my own. Though I've been a church member, I've never trusted Jesus like this. Today, would you be saved? by turning from your sin, turning from your willfulness, trust only in Jesus and follow Jesus. Let's pray.